Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, seriously, shame on you. Like, you should have already done that. It's outrageous that I'm still talking about this. If you haven't done it yet, please knock that out while you're here. Dead leg. We are this week... I think, concluding our annual Candid Coaches series. Since we last talked on this podcast, um, outside of the team-specific episodes, three more questions and answers have posted. The last one should be publishing soon. So we'll discuss them in the order that that they published, starting with uh, the following question. We asked roughly 100 college basketball coaches Mm -hmm. this. We asked them, should the NCAA tournament stay as is with automatic bids? or go to an all-at-large format. And as you wrote accurately, this is the most lopsided answer we've ever got. 97% said we should keep automatic bids for all Division I conferences. Only 3% said scrap the auto bids, make it all-at-large. The 68 best teams should be in the NCAA tournament. Um. I guess anytime you ask any question to get 97% on some level is kind of surprising to get 97% of people to agree on anything somewhat surprising, but you know, I, I can't, I can't imagine that said, I can't imagine anybody saying I don't like the auto bids because that is really what makes March madness. Um, at least one of the things that makes March madness special is that there is a path for St. Peter's to be in the NCAA tournament. And then there's a possibility of us getting to experience an all-time great upset and a really uh, tremendous story that, that resonated nationally and will be remembered for decades. Well, the reason why, so if you're listening, you're like, why, why'd you even ask this? Why would you ask such a crazy thing? Fair, fair question. That's a fair question too. We the should ask, why- we should ask roughly 100 college coaches. Why you even ask this question? Well, I'm about to tell you why. Okay. And I did explain to some of the coaches uh, why we were asking this question. So a few months back, um, I was told that Greg Sankey, who co-chairs the Transformation Committee, obviously the SEC commissioner, had had been musing aloud in some meetings with you know high-ranking college officials, the D1 Council, about the idea of, you know, should we at least just take a cursory look at the NCAA tournament? And is 68 teams with 32 automatic bids in the format it's in, like, is this what we want it to be, uh, you know, indefinitely moving forward? Or might might there be something of a rework we should at least talk about? Not necessarily do, but let's at least talk about it. And I mean, I was told in one in one of these meetings that Sankey went on uh, so long to the point where someone else finally interjected. It was like, all right, you know, Greg, that's enough. We're, mo- we're moving on from this. <laughs> but uh couple things why he brought this up. One, he, he's co-chair of the Transformation Committee. They're looking at literally everything across Division One athletics, and they are reforming 
D1 as we know it, which we'll touch on. Another question we're going to get to here in just a minute. So there was that. Obviously, uh, even bringing this up certainly... uh, you know, rub some people the wrong way. Uh, anyone that would be representing a conference that would need an automatic bid to ensure entrance into uh, the biggest money-making machine in the NCAA, obviously would fight against this. Uh, I did speculate in my story. I almost wonder if Sankey, who's no dummy, uh, did this knowing that it would eventually leak out. And it did. Uh, our buddy Jeff Goodman was the first one to report this. He did it so almost informally on a podcast of his own. And then Sankey, when I was on vacation... Uh, earlier in August, he went on the record with Sports Illustrated. That uh, short story is linked in in the piece. And Sankey didn't he didn't allude in that story to what I had heard. And that was Sankey saying, "Should we have any at large bids at all, or should we at least you know consider reducing them and seeing what kind of leagues would qualify for these at large bids?" So that is why we asked this question because one of the most powerful people in all of college athletics has been wondering aloud if there should be a change to the NCAA tournament as the transformation committee redefines what D1 should be. It's nothing that's in an informal proposal at this stage. It's nothing that would appear to be on the horizon for an immediate change, but there is vulnerability to that. And a lot of this, I was also told, uh, and I think this was also confirmed through some reporting in the past four to six weeks was that Sankey being the chair, the uh, commissioner of the SEC even though this might be a little bit apples and oranges, like a lot of people in the SEC were really bent out of shape over the College World Series for baseball, the NCAA tournament a year ago, when I think Arkansas like didn't get in. And then this year, Mississippi State was like the last at large team in the field and then won the whole thing. So his approach Ole is Miss. like, if, oh, excuse me, uh, if, if we have these teams that are barely getting in and we've also had VCU make it from the first four, we've had UCLA make it from the first four, like, are we absolutely sure that, you know, the, the format we have right now, we're not, you know, keeping out another team or two that might be capable of, of making a deep run, if not winning the whole thing. Uh, I think that's a little bit of a straw man. The two sports are very, very different. The SEC is also dominant in baseball in a way that uh, no one league, not even the big 12 and men's basketball can, can proclaim dominance over the rest of the country there. But um, last thing for me, and I'll, Pitch it back over to you. Uh, one optimistic thing with all this, because you and I agree that the, the tournament should not be changed here. Rich Enzer is the commissioner of the MAC AA there. He's been in that job since the late 80s. He's the longest tendered commissioner in the history of the NCAA. He's going to retire after this uh, academic year. He's known Sankey forever. Uh, since way before Sankey was anything close to, uh, you know, running the SEC. And he said, Greg Sankey does not want to change the NCAA tournament. He's got a lot of people that he has to kind of listen to and, you know, kind of bargain with. And so he might be speaking up on behalf of some others. Um, I'll take Enzer at his word. He said it on the record. That's really inspiring. But 97% return, as I wrote, you will not get that for any other issue in the entire sport other than should we play college basketball? I don't I honestly don't even think if we had pulled coaches, hey, do you think do you think you're paid enough money? I don't even think 97% would say no. I I still think that's more than 3% would say, you know what? I I make plenty of money. I don't I don't need to be paid more. Even though no one would say no to it. I I just this was a resounding message to Sankey, the Transformation Committee. I talked with people with the NCAA this week when the story went up. They said, if you pulled our offices, this would be 100%. No one wants to touch the tournament. They want to keep it with all the at-large bids. So that's, 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 that's where we're at. It has been a discussion behind the scenes, and so we brought a little, brought a little sunshine to this topic, and, uh, well, the returns were overwhelming. Yeah, it'd be hard to get 97% on anything. Like, uh, hey, were the Beatles influential? Is Jay-Z talented? Like, somebody out there is going to say no, right? So um, the idea that we got 97% 
keep the auto bids uh, a thing, um, I, I think underlines just how important coaches believe that aspect of this championship crowning tournament, um, how important it is. And I agree with them. If we ever get to a point, and we've talked about this on previous podcast, where um, you know some collection of the biggest and best conferences decide to break away and do their own tournament. Um, you know, th- then that's a, that's a different deal. But, yeah. but as long as we're holding a tournament uh, for a sport that, that includes 363 programs, um, I, I think it's crucial that you have a path to the NCAA tournament for at least one team from every one of those conferences. That's what we've got now. And uh, I, I would prefer it to stay that way. Coaches overwhelmingly, would uh, as well. You, you mentioned, you know, Greg Sankey bringing up the College World Series and and and, and uh, you know the the, the NCAA uh, tournament as it pertains to baseball as an example of why maybe we need to alter the NCAA tournament with with men's basketball. And the point he made there, and you're exactly right, it, it is apples to oranges a bit because, um, like. You know, Ole Miss was the last team in the field and won the national championship. Mississippi State won it the year before. So not only is the SEC dominant in baseball, my home state specifically is dominant in baseball. We, we've got our flaws. That scumbag Brett Favre is stealing from the needy. So we have our flaws down here. Nobody would, nobody would argue otherwise. We're pretty, pretty good at baseball. And... You know, Ole Miss was among the last teams in the field because it struggled in the SEC. But a team that struggles in the SEC still might be, in baseball, one of the best teams in the country, which is exactly what we just watched play out. I don't think that's replicable in in, in college basketball. Um, I I don't think any league in college basketball, and you made this point, is as good as the SEC is in baseball. So there's that. But I, I think the reason he brought up baseball and that example specifically is because I don't know if he truly wants to get rid of automatic bids. I, mean, I don't know what he said behind closed doors. Um, but what he has said publicly is that he's interested in maybe expanding the NCAA tournament. And I think that's a much more likely scenario than altering with whether we have auto bids or not. I, I think the the – if we see change come to the NCAA tournament um, at the pushing of Greg Sankey, it will be an expanded NCAA tournament that still has automatic bids for for all of the conferences. And I think that's why he brings up Ole Miss in baseball. His argument more or less is, and again, I don't completely subscribe to this because we've literally never had an example of it in, in men's basketball. And, and we do this every year, except for 2020, dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Um, the reason he brings up Ole Miss in baseball is to say, look, Ole Miss was like almost left out of the bracket, and then they won the whole thing. So it's possible we're leaving a national champion out of our postseason event. And we came really close to doing it in baseball. And, you know, we've seen VCU go to the final four from the first four. UCLA go to the final four from the first four. Though, though, the, by definition, those are teams that almost got left out of the tournament, and they were two wins away from winning the whole thing. So maybe we should expand it to ensure we're not leaving 
you know, the national champion out of the national championship bracket. And, and, and so that's the way he would rationalize it. But I don't truly think that's his motivation. I think his motivation is he's about to have a monster of, of a conference. And the more at-large bids available, um, the, the, the more likely it is that the SEC is going to, to fill some of them. You know, that, 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 that whatever version of Texas A&M from last season is available going forward will not be left out. You know, when you keep adding universities to your conference, you want as many um, spots available for them to compete in the big postseason tournament as possible. And so I, I think that's the motivation. He's not worried about, you know, you know VCU almost getting left out of the tournament and then maybe could have won a national championship. What he wants is as many spots as possible for SEC programs. And honestly, that's also why they've jumped or they will jump in football all the way from four to to 12. It's because you're adding Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. You want as many spots possible for your monster football programs to, to occupy. And so his, his, his true motivation, I believe, he's never said this, but I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable in this opinion. His true motivation is I need more spots for schools in my league because I'm about to have a whole bunch of schools in my league that care deeply about succeeding in these sports. Uh, are you pro or anti-expansion? If you, had, if you just had the wand and it was your decision, would you stay at 68 or would you put more teams in? I'd go down to 64. I'd go down to 64 as well. We both know that's not going to happen. 64 is the perfect number selection Sunday. You have a three-day build to Thursday the way it was, the way it existed, you know, basically for 17, 18 years. And then we had the 65th team for about eight years. And then we went to 68, which came as a, if there's any newbies in terms of following this sport in the past five, six years, you know, 12 years ago or so, uh, there were real discussions about expanding the tournament to 80 teams or 96 teams. And this was pre-social media, but the blowback was so significant. And uh, the, I'm going to make up a word here, the not worthitness of going to 96 from a television perspective was so clear that the compromise that came out of this was to go from 65 to 68 because all this, a lot of this deals with the fact that we went from 64 to 65 because the Mountain West got formed. So that added another automatic bid. And with, you know, D1 increasing, 32 automatic bids, suddenly we got a first four. It is what it is. It's fine. It's an appendage. 64 is the perfect number. I would greatly resist 68. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? I was just going to say, um, I like if they decided to go to, I don't know, whatever the number is, expand by some not doubling it type of number, you know, go to 80 or whatever. I, I wouldn't fist fight anybody over it, but I think it's unnecessary. While Greg Sankey is arguing that we might be leaving true national championship contenders out of the bracket, I would counter that by saying we don't leave any good teams out of the bracket. Like right. the, yeah, we put average teams in the bracket as is. We don't leave good teams out. Like if I you're agree. good, if you're good, especially good from a power conference, you're in the NCAA tournament. If you can't yeah. get there, you haven't been very good over um, a several months of, of basketball. So I would prefer it to be 64. I know we're not going backwards. If they tried to go up by, you know, some small number, again, I wouldn't rant and rave and go crazy. but. I do think there's something to be said for, you know, making it where like 
for every spot you add, um, another average team gets in and it takes away from the bubble talk in the final weeks of mm-hmm. the regular season and during championship week. Uh, I, I would, if you won't let me go back to 64, I would prefer to stay at 68. And the only change I would make, and we've talked about this before, is I would have all automatic qualifiers in the main bracket. And the first four in Dayton would be uh, the, the, the last at-large bids that were placed into the tournament. You know, the, the what do we send to Dayton? Eight teams? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the last eight at-largest, you guys go to Dayton and fight it out. It makes those games more interesting because here's the truth. Uh, we get the first four, and it's two games. It's a doubleheader on back-to-back nights. I, I know this special for everybody. For college basketball fans, it, it, only half of those games are teams, coaches, players you might recognize. And so if you were to take the last eight at-larges, you're probably going to get – you're definitely going to get more power conference schools, more recognizable brands, frankly, better teams, and let them go duke it out. And let's put the 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 – you know the, the 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 every automatic qualifier, every conference tournament champion. Let's put them in the main bracket where they can have a true NCAA tournament experience. Because uh, though Dayton is cool, that's not a true NCAA tournament uh, ex- experience. Now the counter argument to that, because I've talked to some coaches about this, and I was frankly, I think I just had never considered it. But I talked to coaches who, you know, have gone to the first four or have or or, or coach in a league that. If they were to get their league's auto bid, they would end up in the first four. And they say, no, 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 GP. I like going to the first four. And I'm like, why? Because I can win an NCAA tournament game. Like, mm-hmm. it'll be on my Wikipedia page. I won an NCAA tournament game. If I get placed in the main bracket as a 16 seat, I'm just going to get my brains beat in by 40. You also get NCAA tournament units if you win the game. That's right. That's so right. So, so what I, I'm arguing from a viewership perspective, I'd rather see the last eight at-larges in Dayton. But it, it might it might be uh, counter to what some people think. Some coaches that that coach in those types of leagues that go to the first four as auto as auto, uh, automatic big qualifiers they 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 like going there because they they can you know get a, get a tournament unit and also get a NCAA tournament win. Whereas if you go to play Duke in the first round, you you, you know you're thirty six point underdog. There's another facet to the automatic bids that I'll get to when we get to our next question here. But uh, last thing for me on this, I could I could talk about this for an hour and a half. Uh, the tournament doesn't need to be changed. Okay, the tournament is fine at 68 teams. We don't need to mess with it. We don't need to tinker with everything in American sports every four years just to do it. We don't need to expand just to expand. 68 is fine. Every single team you add to the tournament makes the regular season that much less relevant. Okay. The, the sport is already dealing with a national relevance problem. It already has a ceiling on it that it probably can't break through anymore. It can be improved. There's no doubt about it. You can increase the scheduling in November and December. You can do things to create more motivating factors. But if you are trying to maintain as much relevance as possible, you don't need to add any more teams to the NCAA tournament. The 69th team, the 70th team, the, the, the ones and two seeds in the NIT, uh, look at those resumes. Look at the teams that barely get in and go to Dayton, okay? From a resume standpoint, GP hit the, hit the hammer on the nail there with 
what we're talking about when we're talking about teams that are in versus teams that are out. Yeah, there's a few that are like compelling discussions within the context of a given season, but you get to even 70. I reject even 72. And that's kind of my fears. They're like, all right, let's just go four more here. Let's just add four more teams, four more at larges. That's fine. You don't want to get rid of any of the auto bids. Let's put four more in. And I don't, I don't think we need that. I, I don't think we need it re- remotely at all. And I, I reject passionately the idea that we have to expand this damn thing again. It was perfect at 64. We live with a little, with a little ward on the cheek at 68. That's fine. You still have something really good there. Just let it be. I understand if you got to evaluate and do an audit of the tournament, the men's and the women's tournaments. I get all that. That's fine. You will not find outside of. People that you know stand to make money off the coaches that might not get fired. Although th- that's another counter argument. A couple coaches were like, "Because coaches I talked to, because we got talking about expansion, like I don't want to go to more than sixty-eight." There, I was there were some that said get us to seventy-two. Some who said eighty. Some who said ninety-six. Uh, but some coaches were like, you know, I, I don't mind that it's this difficult. Yes, my job is on the line. But if you go to seventy-two or you go to eighty, coaches are going to be fired even with even more frequency because. It's already considered like you didn't make the tournament. If you add more teams, the pressure on a, a coach to get into the field, and there still will be coaches left out. Like the, the 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 lifespan of a coach at a power conference school will be even shorter than it is now. There are a lot of unintended consequences with all this. We don't need more teams. Sixty eight is fine. Okay, go ahead. Well, what, what you're saying, and uh, I, I trust that you have heard that from coaches. I've literally heard the opposite which is, yes, I want to expand. Like if we were to ask coaches, we asked coaches, do you want to get rid of auto bids or not? 97% said, no way, keep the auto bids. If we asked them, do you want to expand the tournament or not? I bet you it would be above 50% yes. And the argument that coaches make is, um, it, it's like the opposite of, of what you just said. So maybe there's a, a true difference of opinion out there among coaches. But what I've been told from coaches is, college football's got it figured out. Half those teams go to bowl games and it's like, yeah, we've been to three straight bowls and, and yet we've got three sixty three, and only 68 go to the NCAA tournament. And, and then, you know what happens when I don't go four straight years, people say he hadn't been in the NCAA tournament four straight years, but they're celebrating my football coach. Who's who's gone to four straight bowl games, but they're crap bowls. He's just like barely you know, uh, in the top half of college football. But if you're top 100 of college basketball in a 363-team sport, you are not making the NCAA tournament, and people say you're not doing your job well. But if you're in the top half of college football, you're going to a bowl game, and people are celebrate that. We need to change where the bar is for us so that um, we're not getting banged in the head about not making the NCAA tournament. And what's the easiest way to make the NCAA tournament create more spots in the NCAA tournament. That's what I've heard from, from coaches. Yeah, I know. I heard, I had two coaches tell me if you go to 80 or 96, getting the tournament isn't an achievement anymore. And then if you don't win a tournament game, you're going to be more likely to get fired. I'd be interested in the data the past 12 years, every power conference school. uh, What is the average lifespan of a coach at that job in college football versus men's division one college basketball? Cause I don't know. It almost feels like the college football playoff has put more pressure, even though it's unrealistic for most of these teams to make it in a 14 playoff era that we're in right now. That's obviously changing soon that uh, coaches don't last as long. It feels like coaches are under more pressure to win more in college football. And so that they aren't keeping those jobs as long as men's D1 college coaches. I could be wrong about that. You might be right. I'd be interested to see what the actually the average would be, though. Well, one of the things that basketball does right that football gets wrong 
because I've talked to coaches about this too, and, and, and football coaches as well. In basketball, the final four is yes. like an accomplishment. Like yes. it's a big Even deal. The Sweet 16 is, is an, an accomplishment. accomplishment. Yes. If you go to the final four in football, like Oklahoma would do every other year and get blown out, or Notre Dame does and gets blown, people go, ah, they suck. Yeah. The fight making the four in football is not considered this grand achievement. Perhaps because there's no build up to it. Like you don't want to because around. SEC, you're baked in at least one, if not two teams. So it's not the expectation level is different. I, I think there's so. no, yeah, there's no build up. There aren't there's there aren't no winning. Winning. You don't you don't win a round of 64 game, then a round of 32 game, then a sweet 16 game, then an elite eight game to get to the final four in football. You're just in the final four in football. But go watch the playoffs this year. If if somebody gets to the final four, uh, they're in the playoff, college football playoff. And uh, that by definition, they've had an incredible year. If they get blown out by Alabama or Georgia, people will mock them. People will mock that Notre Dame gets mocked going to the playoff uh, when it does because they get their brains beat in. And, and, and so that's something that basketball gets right. The final four is a celebration. But if you lose in the final four of football, it's it's kind of it's not considered a celebration at all. Uh, let's move on. But the 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 American sports public, the most popular decision will be not just don't touch the tournament. Just don't touch it. The bracket fits nicely on a sheet. You got the four playing games that barely fit in. You go to 72, you go to 80, you go to 96. It's all it's a, it's a whole mess. OK, there's a lot of there's a lot of unintended consequences. of this. People do not want an expanded NCAA tournament. Some do. The majority definitely do not. And you this is an issue where I know we're polling coaches. I would I would not let coaches guide the decision on expanding because they're they're out for their own self-interest i don't think it's better for the game to go to 96 would be a disaster i mean the, the regular season would have almost no meaning like it just a complete disaster and i'm just as opposed to 80 72 i could barely stomach but i'm a i'm a bit of a purist when it comes to this all right we'll get to the next three candid coaches questions in just a moment but first a word from our partners another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four the podcast so you don't miss a thing. All right, we're already at 25 minutes, so we probably need, we probably and it's hey, it's on me. It's on me too. By the way, 93. I put a Twitter poll out. 93 percent of people wanted to keep the automatic bits. Just so just just another reminder of how unpopular it would be to take that away. What's the next one we're hitting on here, GP? How many teams? Should be playing Division One basketball, as we've noted multiple times already. It's 363 right now. And so we asked roughly 100 coaches. We gave them options. Should it stay at the current size? Should we cut it by about 15 to 20%? Should we cut it by about 40%? Should we cut it in half or more? And more than 50% of the coaches, uh, specifically 53.7% of the coaches, said stay at the current 
size, which I guess isn't surprising because some of these coaches, like, you know, they, 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 they're on the wrong side of this if we start cutting and they yeah. don't want to be on the wrong side of it. Other coaches add to their career win totals by playing teams that are in that three. That's to three right. Three. So I guess given that we're asking coaches this question, I shouldn't be surprised that stay at the current size was the right answer. You know, sometimes coaches vote with uh, their own interest in mind. In fact, often I would assume they vote with their own interest in mind. Um, from a fan perspective, I would cut it. I would like to cut it to about, I don't know that there's a perfect number. I actually went through it the other day and I was like, well, if you cut here, you're leaving out like that's a pretty good program. That's a pretty good program. But I think around 200, around yeah, 200 teams should be playing Division One basketball. There was one coach who I believe gave this quote. It's, it's my, my, my mind is so jumbled on this stuff. I can't remember if a coach gave me this quote or gave you this quote, but I think it's you. Uh, the quote is this, and this I I I believe that this is this is I, I could have wrote this. I'd say cut the bottom third. I hate coaching in those crappy games, let alone if I had to actually play in them. <laughs> this is yours. I did not get this one. <laughs> I am sure a lot of coaches like them because they are easy wins and they can pad their record, yeah. but I find it to be a complete waste of everyone's time when a high major team and a 250-plus Kimpom team play a 40-point blowout. And I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, the more Division One teams you have, the more – bad games you're going to get in the non-league portion of the schedule. And I think that is one of the yes. real problems facing college basketball um, is that if you are a Kentucky fan or a North Carolina fan or a Duke fan, most of your non-league games, so basically everything you're watching in November and December, like if those teams are what they're supposed to be, most of the games are going to be lopsided. And, and, and like you, you compare it to the NBA, literally half your get roughly half your games are going to be against quote unquote playoff teams over an 82 game regular season schedule. And in college basketball, if you're truly great, if you're a great team, a lot of your games are going to be against absolute crap. And it's just not, it's not interesting for anybody. I would love a sit. Um, I would love a situation where we got rid of, and I don't I don't know that you cut it strictly by conference because like you, you start can't. cutting you start cutting conferences, you leave like good good programs out. But That's if there the were a, if there were a way, because I started going through like conference standings, and it's like, okay, we're obviously keeping the Big 12, SEC, Big Ten, Big East, uh, ACC, Pac 12, Mountain West, American Athletic Conference, West Coast Conference. So now I'm already up to nine. Atlantic 10, we yeah, we gotta keep that. Missouri Valley, gotta keep that. Southern Conference. Got to keep that good programs in there. Conference USA, got to got to keep that. CAA, that, like you get into this place where if you start cutting anywhere around here, it's like, well, who did we just leave out from the Sun Belt? Who did we just leave out from the Summit League? Who did we just leave out from the OVC? So I don't think you can just cut. Like let's cut the bottom six leagues or the bottom eight leagues or the bottom ten leagues. You could you leave some really proud programs out. But if there were a way to consolidate, take the top two hundred programs in America, so, sort them in conferences in some way, and let's call that Division One basketball. I would like that because I don't fundamentally. I think it's insane that North Carolina and North Carolina A and T are theoretically competing for the same national championship. That's silly. Some would say that's an amazing. A feature of D1 basketball, though. I would say it's silly. 
I know. Some would say that's that's actually an appealing nature to it, even if NCAA and T uh, is never going to win a national championship. I get all that. Uh, there was a coach who did tell me basketball is the only sport, college sport in the country where every school plays. And there is something to that. It's the only one. Every every single college institution, to my knowledge, you know, and in the NCAA, D, D1, D2, D3 ha- fields a basketball team for men's and women's. What, no, about, that's, George- that's- what about Georgetown? Okay. Ouch. Ouch. I'm, I'm joking. Um, so there I'm is joking. something to that. Also, 363 schools means with the exception of the Ivies, uh, you have all these p- people that are on scholarship, free college education. And there's something to that, which isn't to say that, you know, if you weren't D1, you couldn't still afford scholarships. But the reason why this question is asked is also because of the transformation committee. So uh, here's a little bit of quick exposition on this question, why this was asked and how it pertains to the one we just talked about. The Transformation Committee is going to try and determine what it means to be a Division One institution and what it means to field teams at the D1 level, be it football or basketball or volleyball or ice hockey and all this stuff. You, the conference situation is going to prevent an outright like, well, let's, we're going to go from 363 to 295, and that's the number. That's, that's not going to happen. The conferences will prevent that from happening. But what might happen, I'm not saying it will happen, but what might happen is that the Transformation Committee could come to some kind of plan and say, okay, we're not going to outright kick anyone out of Division One. Every single team that's in Division One." We'll get to stay there because you got to qualify to get in. You got to get through the hoops and all that stuff. But once you're in, you're in no matter how embarrassingly low your budget might be. I mean, there are definitely hangers on. There's no doubt about it. We're in agreement. It's too big. My number is about 300, maybe 290 or so. It's too big, but whatever. Don't let anyone else in in Division One as far as I'm concerned. But the Transformation Committee could say, okay, we're going to have certain thresholds. So... Maybe you break up division one into two tiers. Maybe you break it up into three tiers and say, you're in the top tier if you're in one of these leagues and you have an athletic budget or, or a basketball budget that meets this threshold. You're in tier two. If you can't quite get there, but you have these many resources to put toward it, you're going to be put in, in tier two. And if you're anyone else, then you're in tier three. Why would they do this? Well, there's a, there's a few different factors as to why they would do it. But I cynically happen to believe that this winds up being the workaround to reducing the number of automatic bids in the NCAA tournament so that they can say, for AQ status in the basketball tournament, you need to either be playing in Tier 1 or Tier 2. If you're a Tier 3 designated team over the next year, three years, however they want to create that kind of window, uh, you can play your way in. You can, if you can make the financial commitment improve, then you can come up to Tier 2. But otherwise you're tier three and you don't qualify for the NCAA tournament. Maybe you qualify for the NIT or any other kind of tournament, but that's, I, that's what I think could be potentially on the table here. Uh, do I think it's right? No. Uh, I think if they were to do that, there's a lot. Of, I think this is a huge undertaking and I don't even know if we're going to get to this point. We might look up in five years. D one is still 363 or 368 teams, however big it wants to get. And this, and it remains the status quo. But if, if I'm looking at a way that the Transformation Committee could literally legislate in rules to keep out, you know, three AQs from low major leagues, maybe five or six, just shave those off. Let's just get them out of here. We'll keep it at 68. But you know what? Four or five leagues, don't know what to tell you. You know, we, we, we redefined what D1 is and you're not there right now. And so we'll just replace those with that large bids. I think that is one possible avenue here uh, because the task of the Transformation Committee is to 
push the NCAA into, you know, the modern era as best as it possibly can and streamline this process, reduce the rule book and redefine what it means to be a D1 institution. And one quick aside with all this, oh, by the way, uh, there was a there was a, a summit yesterday that happened in DC with some, with lead one, which is, you know, a, a bunch of people that work in college sports and advisors and all that. And surprise, surprise, surprise. Uh, you know, there will be no breakaway by the power conference schools from the NCAA. That's not happening. I've always been very cynical that that would ever happen. There's no momentum to do that because if you do that, you create your own NCAA and the news and chatter coming out of that was like, there's no desire on behalf of presidents or athletic directors to actually break away from the NCAA. Cause if you do that, you take on a whole bunch of your own new problems. So the idea that maybe if we cut D one and it was just the top eight leagues that broke away, that's, fantasy land stuff that's just not going to happen it's not pragmatic it's not logical and uh and so that's where we are with with all this one last tidbit on this and then it's all yours gp um i was told that uh jim phillips the acc commissioner told acc coaches back during their spring meetings that you know any kind of significant change to how power conferences operate within this structure of the ncaa like that's not getting altered, if at all, until the tournament contract runs out in 2032. So while there might be some tweaks coming in the next few years, I think any widespread transcendent redefining of what D1 is, if and when this gets decided, this is a long project. This will have a, a long run out. Um, but that's why we asked the question, because they're, they're actually trying to decide uh, how they're going to uh, reclassify, if reclassify at all, what teams are D1 or not D1. But I would cut it down. I would cut it down by about 15%. The next question we asked, a little more than a year into it, is name, image, and likeness helping or hurting college athletics? And 39% said helping. 61% said hurting. And I, I, I handled this post. And I, I wrote that in my conversations with coaches, I think what, what the consensus is, is that, that most of them like that their student athletes are now making real money. Um, but, but a lot of them are uncomfortable with how it's being done and used as a recruiting inducement. Now, I, I I push back on some of their arguments, and we'll get to that in a second. But let's stop here for a second. Is that is is that your basic understanding as well, or do you hear something different? What I hear from most coaches is, "I'm glad my players are making money. I don't like how there are seems to be no enforceable rules or regulations, and a lot of this stuff is just strictly coming down to can you can you pay more money than somebody else to get this point guard or power forward." Uh, there's a, there's a lot of that. Did you include, I didn't bring up the story here. Did you include the second quote I sent you with hurting with, I'm going to read this aloud. <laughs> Some coaches cracked me up. I asked a question more than one year in is NIL helping or hurting college athletics. And the coach goes, you mean pay to play yeah. with unrestricted free agency? Get it while you can, because most of them will see what their real NIL is when they're paying for their own shoes while playing for some second division team in Europe once they have exhausted their eligibility. That co- God bless that coach. I did, did you- not use that, um, but I remember it. 
You mean pay to play with unrestricted free agency, Norlander? That's what you mean by NIL? There are some coaches who do the, have the, that. The, 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 the thing that sort of makes me laugh when coaches make these arguments is that they're literally arguments they wouldn't make against themselves. Pay for play? Well, there's pay for coach. With unrestricted free agency? Yeah, you know, everybody's got a buyout. You, you can change jobs next year if you want to. If you want to, there's a way for you to do it. So that's where I sort of, like, I as I wrote, I am empathetic to the idea that a lot of these guys got into this business um, under one set of circumstances, and it flipped on them almost you know, overnight because it, it's not just that name image and likeness became a thing last July. It's that the one-time transfer waiver also became a thing. And these two things becoming a reality at roughly the same time really changed the sport in dramatic, dramatic ways. Because now at the end of every season, you can reasonably assume you know, some, if not most of your players are are now, you know, available to everybody. And you've got to not only recruit them back, but in many cases, buy them back. Because if you don't, somebody will buy them from you. And that is a complicated um, space to work in, particularly when it's all brand new. Like, I can't tell you, how, and I think coaches, for the most part, now have a, a pretty good grasp for what is going on and how it's happening and what to do. But I can't tell you how many coaches I had conversations with last summer who were like, like genuinely confused. Like, I don't know what to do or what yeah, I should yeah, be that's, doing that's or what point. I can do. Yeah, that's right. Like, I would have coaches call me and say, what are you hearing they're doing at this place? What are you hearing they're doing at that place? Because I don't know. I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm doing. And you heard Jay Wright when he retired say, I really didn't understand what was happening. And more than that, didn't really have a desire to understand it. I didn't want to, you know, he he never went so far as to say I'm retiring because of all this stuff, but he certainly, you know, certainly said that it, it played a role. Like, I don't really understand it. I'm glad it's here, but I don't really understand it. And I didn't really have a desire to try to get to understand it. Luckily I had assistants who really understood it, but I didn't, I didn't, and I didn't want to. And so I am empathetic to the idea that when I hear from coaches, GP is crazy. Like, I don't, this is wild. This is not the world I used to operate in. And it is, it is a whole new job. I, my job has changed. Like imagine, and I, you know, I guess it's not hard to imagine. Our jobs change. Everybody's jobs change. You know, when, when I got hired at CBS sports, you know, what my job was right. 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 Column. I know. right column. That's it. Now look at us. So everybody's job. I mean. <laughs> Who thought? So so everybody's job changes. But I'm empathetic to their frustration um, that 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 their job changed basically overnight. What I'm less understanding of is when I hear the things like, "Oh, it's just pay for play." Well, okay, yeah, I agree. In many cases, it is. So what? You you know, it's pay pay for coach. You are you against pay for coach? Then why are you against pay for play? Or it's uh. So you you know you, you can go out and 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 find a, a a under the radar recruit, enroll them, develop them, give them 
the the stage that you can give them, get them better, and then what? The first team all conference at the mid major level, and now you know they're they're picking between North Carolina and Kansas. How am I supposed to compete with that? You can't probably unless you've got a really strong relationship slash you know you know a, a booster ready to give an NIL deal. You probably can't compete with that. But you know what? That's fine. How I I reject the idea that it's wrong for high major programs to buy mid major players based on the idea that high major programs have been buying mid major coaches forever that that's the way the sport works and so if if you're okay with let's just say the Greensboro coach getting a high major job after he proves himself at Greensboro, then why would you be against the Greensboro player getting a high major offer after he proves himself at Greensboro? Like I, I the, the most of the arguments coaches make when it comes to that type of stuff are arguments that they don't hold themselves to. Like I don't mind them making money, but you know, it's a lot of money for what have they really done? You know how many coaches are making millions of dollars and really done anything? Literally millions. But nobody complains about that. It's only when the players are making hundreds of thousands. Don't ever forget this. Of all of the mainstream revenue-generating sports we have in this country, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, hockey, MLS, college basketball, college football, these are all revenue-generating billion-dollar sports. The only one still where the coaches make way more money than the players is college football and college basketball. So just because the co- the players are getting more than ever, and in some cases a lot, it still ain't balanced out the way we do things in these other big business sports. There ain't NBA coaches making what LeBron James makes. There ain't NFL coaches making what Tom Brady makes, Aaron Rodgers makes. But in bas- college basketball and college football, the coaches still make way more than the players, and that's something the coaches, I think, should probably uh, not not lose sight of. I'll share a quote from uh, a couple that didn't make it, just one from helping and one from hurting. Uh, the helping one, well, let me say this first. When I first asked this question, like three of the four coaches, first four coaches I talked to, they're like, well, both. And I was like, okay, we're not doing this. We're not doing help. We're not doing both. You got to pick the, the arrow has to point in one direction. So you either narrowly say it's helping or you narrowly say it's hurting. So um, I will note that a lot of coaches, if they could, if we could have given them the option of saying both, I think both would have come in at above 70%. I think they wanted to say both. So one coach who said it's hurting uh, said, God, I'm so torn on this one. In the short term, it's hurting. The only reason I'd say this is because of the extreme nonsense that happens at the start of it. Everyone freaks out. The Nigel Pack deal, all that stuff, it hurts it immediately because there's a swift overreaction, then it settles in over time. I agree with that, coach. I agree with that take. I think in the first, this was always fait accompli. There was always going to be uh, this environment of uncertainty and paranoia and freak out and sky is falling. So that's undeniable. So to the coaches that would echo that coach's sentiment and say that's why I'd lean hurting, I'd actually I can see your I can see your uh, your point of view on this. And then just to give you a, a sense of sometimes how quotes that sound like they're on the same side but come out of on opposite opinions. This coach cracked me up. He goes, "Quote: All the disaster around it isn't 
uh, isn't good, but I'll pick helping. It's a good thing for the athletes and been well overdue, but it's become a disaster. I'm an old school coach and the rule to me is NIL is what you're worth to the business community. How it's being used is high school kids are going to be worth a million dollars. And it's like, how the F does anyone know what he's going to be worth? I'm not an auctioneer. You haven't made a layup yet. I went to your high school game and there were five people in the stands paying $5 a ticket. That coach says NIL is helping. He also brings up a couple of good points there. Um, the, the, the coaches, for the most part, say, listen, there are some players, a few players, that are genuinely making money based off of their name, image, and likeness. They are actually being used because they have a, a value to them that can bring real uh, value to the community, to the business community. But for so many of these players, it's not, it's not that. It's not, and we always knew it was going to be like that. So right. coaches are still just, they are not, they, a lot of them, some of them are, some of them are, you'd be surprised. And some of the coaches I talk with, I'm like, man, you should talk on the record about this stuff. Some coaches are very modern. They're like, you can pay my players. You can pay them all a million dollars. I don't care. It's like, go on the record and say that. You want to make a headline? Like, you want to help your recruiting? Go ahead and say that. I've heard of at least one program that is, um, I don't know if they're, they're outright saying this in the recruiting process, but it, I, I was told they want to get, there's a program in college basketball that wants to get to the point, if they're not already at the point, where they can wink, wink, make sure every transfer or high school prospect they pursue knows, if you come with us, we can guarantee you a million dollars. I mean, I, I've heard that. Let's go. Let's go. Let's bring it you, on. you come with us. Hey, you could, you could play 30 minutes a game or eight minutes a game or two minutes a game. If you come with us, you're guaranteed a minimum. You're going to make a million dollars next year. That'd be wild. Well, think wild. about it. All, all you need is a, 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 a boosters to come up with $13 million. You know, and, and the, and the, That's the not problem from an NCAA perspective is how are you creating written legislation that or relying on Congress that is able to define the difference between one or the other? How are you able to say... Well, no, that player isn't worth that amount of money when it's if it's an outside business entity that wants to determine a, a person's value. How much are you worth as much as anyone's willing no. to pay you there? So that's this. There, there, there can be some stuff with an IL that I think can get cleaned up. OK, and there, there, there probably will be some eventual boundaries. But I think the central philosophical issue with name, image and likeness I think this is going to permeate and just be a thing in the air of college athletics moving forward. I don't think you ever really get rid of this and, until you outright truly professionalize college athletes and pay them uh, a salary, a wage from the universities or via television contracts, which could be coming. But I, until that day happens, I, I think that this issue is always not going to sit well with some and it's just going to be—it's just going to be another thing. The sport's never going to be perfect. There's always been reasons for people to bitch. I get all that. This is going to become something that I think is just permanently there. If, but I think it will be slightly reduced when we look up three, four, five years down the road. A few final thoughts on this, and then and then we'll move on. Um, the student athletes who are actually getting quote what they're worth from a name, image, and likeness perspective. And I, I didn't envision this before we got here, but I recognized it pretty quickly. The ones who are actually getting what they're worth, because that's what you hear from coaches. They, there's no way Nigel Pack's worth $400,000 to that company, which, by the way, 100% true. He's not. You ever you, you ever go look like when Nigel Pack did that deal? What's the name look, of the company? What's the I name of the company? 
You should know it. If he's worth $400,000 over two yeah. years. I, I, I know what the company is. It's like they keep all your medical history in a, that's the point, on, a, on an app. You can't even name the, I mean, this, you like, can't if, even if, name the company. When Nigel Pack went and did that deal, I went and looked at his social media following. Like he's not as worth, he's not worth as much as me or you. Life wallet, right? by the way. Yeah. So, so yeah, life wallet. That's exactly right. So he's not worth that unless you argue us giving him all this money created these big headlines yeah. and brought attention maybe. to life wallet. And maybe that, but yeah. the, the, here, here's my point. The student athletes who are actually getting what they're worth. It's the attractive gymnast at LSU. It's the, it's the twins who play the attractive twins who play basketball. I think now at Miami, I think they transferred to Miami at Cavender twins. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're getting what they're worth. Cause they have incredible social media followings. And then you, you can, um, weaponize. I think that's the wrong word, but you get the point. Yes. Their social media followings uh, to create, um, you know, all of the impact you're trying to create on on social media. They're getting what they're worth in football and men's basketball. At the very least, there are players getting tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousand dollars, who aren't worth that in the ways that they're being used for those companies. But that was always going to be the case. I, I wrote this. Like, I remember after the NCAA announced they're working on name, image, and likeness, and they held a conference call. You know, it's like, press nine if you want to ask a question. I was like, I do want to ask a press, I press nine. And uh, they said, we'll go to Gary uh, Parrish from CBS Sports. And that's probably right after they said, we'll go to Pat Ford, because I love <laughs> it when they do that. <laughs> yes. Uh, they said we're going to get gritting his teeth underneath when they say it. Yeah. Uh, they go yes. to Pat, I can't tell you how many conference calls I've been on, and they. They welcome Pat Ford. <laughs> so I said, uh, listen, I hear you guys saying you are not, you, you're going to a, create a system where student athletes can uh, cap, uh, you know, monetize their name, image, and likeness, but it will not be allowed to be used as a recruiting inducement. They were like, yeah. I said, okay, how? How are you doing that? Well, uh, you know, we're, you know, it's a work in progress. I said, okay. and, and I was like, I, I, as I wrote in this post, I asked the question to make a point, not because I thought there was going to be an enlightening answer. I knew there wouldn't be because there's no answer to that question. There's no yeah. way to do it. There's no way to do it. There's no way to create a system where student athletes can have name, image, and likeness rights, and it's not a recruiting inducement. So for the coaches who are like, I was okay with name, image, and likeness, but now it's just become a recruiting and do well. Like, what did you ever think it was going to be? If this was always going to be what it was going to be. And as I pointed out many times, predicted and and now doubled down on, it hasn't really changed the order of things. Yeah, you're gonna get Nigel Pack enrolling at Miami for a lot of money, and he probably would be somewhere else if not for that. Yeah. But 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 I mean, but guess in in the in the immediate aftermath of name, image, and likeness becoming a reality, guess who played for the national championship? Blue blood Kansas and blue blood North Carolina. Guess who's got the number one ranked recruiting class in the country two consecutive years? Duke. Mm -hmm. Is this like these players are getting money, but they're largely, largely, not entirely, but largely still going to the same places? Um, I, I agree that name, image, and likeness has complicated coaches' jobs. I agree. I don't think it's hurt. In fact, I would argue, and if, if I were voting in this, I would have said helped. And you know why? Because Armando Baycott's back in school. Because right. Drew Timmy's back in school. Because yes. Hunter Dickinson's back in school. Because Caleb Love is back in school. It has helped Oscar Shibway's back in school. It has helped bring players who would otherwise pursue professional opportunities in whatever form. 
it's brought them back to college basketball. We talked earlier, but one of the big problems with college basketball is if you're a great team, so many of your non-league games are just crap. Another problem has for a while been from year to year, the, the, the faces of the sport change more dramatically than they do in any other sport in, in America, not even close. And that's still true, but it's less true because you've got this thing that, that brings these players back to campus. And what is the thing? It's money. It's lots of money. Like Oscar Sheway should be at Kentucky next year too, regardless of if he wins a national championship and, and wins another player of the year, you would go, okay, I've done everything there is to do time to move on in a different time. You would, but what if they say, well, you can make $3 million at Kentucky or play in the G league. Yeah. I'm going to play. I'm going to make $3 million. Yeah, at Kentucky. Awesome. Uh, These guys actually happened. Like okay. if I'm a, if I am a great college player at a great program, but a less than obvious NBA prospect, I am staying in college as long as I can stay in college. And I think that helps college basketball. And the only reason it's a thing now is because of name, image, and likeness. That ties into our last question that uh, published here on Thursday. Uh, the final one. Just uh, We had never asked this one before. And I thought, you know, at, at this particular juncture of, uh, of, of college athletics, uh, why not get a temperature check there? So we asked, how do you feel about the state of college basketball in 2022? We gave, it was multiple choice answers. So, uh, great, good, ambivalent, and concerned were the four options. Great and good both came in at 24%. Ambivalent was the lowest return at 9.4%, and then concerned, which was my expectation, uh, did win. It wasn't a runaway, 42.6%. It comfortably won, but you know we didn't have... Uh, we, you know, we had what 48% total of coaches say they felt either great or good. And we had 42.6% say they were concerned. So if you really look at like uh glass half full glass, empty glass, half empty, it's almost like close to a 50, 50 split overall there. We asked it because, you know, it's been, we're almost coming up on five years to the day since the FBI uh, investigation went public in September, late September of 2017. Since then college basketball has been a bit wobbly between conference realignment, NIL legislation, transfer portal, hello, worst pandemic of our lifetimes. The G League Ignite team became a thing. Overtime Elite became a thing. Um, Hell, you had Baylor win a national title. Think about that. Think about how wild it's been over the past five years. Yeah, if you told someone 15 years ago Baylor was going to win a national title in men's basketball, unthinkable. More unthinkable than a worldwide global pandemic, arguably. So um, that uh, that story, if it is not posted yet, will post very sh- soon if you're watching on on YouTube here. And hey, YouTube. And the the majority hey. of coaches that hey, gave that gave me long winded answers were were speaking about why they were concerned. And there was there was a, a variety of different reasons why. So, you know, one coach said the transfer portal is the least of my concerns. I would say that if I would I wouldn't say that if I was at a mid-major, this coach is an assistant at a at a power conference school, but he said NIL is the biggest one. Um and he thinks that uh college basketball should be given uh jurisdiction to rule its sport the way it sees fit have a have a board of governors only for basketball like to a certain extent college basketball gets to determine what it does but not it still has to bow to a lot of ncaa wide rules and a few coaches were saying you know i'm concerned because what do i'm concerned some said i'm concerned because nil a lot said i'm concerned because of the portal I, i get all that uh some coaches said they were concerned because of the idea that you could transfer multiple times and never have to sit out those coaches I talked to in like the start of August, since then the NCAA's board of directors has come out and said that's actually not going to be a thing. So some of those concerns are no longer actual legitimate. But a number of coaches said, I just wish we had a bit more leadership and the autonomy to be able to 
make decisions for ourselves on when we do, when we want to have our recruiting calendar or scheduling with all that. I personally, if, if you're asking me, I would say good. I'm not concerned about men's college basketball. I'm not ambivalent. I don't feel great about it. I love the sport, love covering it, love talking about it, love writing about it. Uh, but if I step back and I'm objective about it, like, yeah, the regular season, it's good. It could be better. Uh, getting our arms around how players can uh, be compensated properly. I don't think we're still even all the way there yet. It still could be better, but uh, the tournament is amazing. In my opinion, it's the best postseason in all of American sports. For me, it's the best postseason. Period. Uh, and I think that's a, I think that's an amazing thing. We still get these incredible stories about these eighteen and nineteen year olds that show up on college campuses and become, you know, national sports stars, and to see their lives transform in the past they take. That's an amazing, awesome, awesome deal. So there's still so much to like about college basketball. The camaraderie, the the television product to a to a large extent is very very good. So I feel good about it. It could be better, but my main my main takeaway in the in the story was. You need to make sure that you have a group of people that are being extremely proactive to better it. You know, don't just sit on your laurels and think that having a a 68 team tournament every March is just going to keep college basketball humming along. Yes, it's an amazing event and it delivers every single season, like without fail, no doubt about it. But you have to think bigger than that. You have to think about ways that you can keep college basketball interesting and watchable and uh, continually engaging a young audience there. There are dozens of millions, dozens and dozens and dozens of millions of college graduates from Division I institutions across this country. You have an inherent fan base there that you need to take advantage of and continually think about how you are better serving that audience across the board and how the game is played, what it's looked like, rules that can might be able to tweak. That's why we brought up the 30-second versus 24-second shot clock rule. Maybe consider going to quarters. One thing after another. Just constantly be looking to make itself better so that you're not losing Jay Wright five years earlier than maybe he should have retired. Maybe Roy Williams. Maybe he would have had another year or two in him if, if you know, the rules weren't the way they were. That's also maybe. not a great thing, losing Hall of Fame-level coaches. You know, just maybe they... Maybe they're scheduled to get off at uh, you know at the eleven fifteen stop, but they're getting off at the ten fifty one. You know, you keep those coaches, those familiar faces around longer. That's also better for your sport. I'd say good if given the four options, Parrish, Where would you uh, where would you come down on this one? Well, it's not just that we've lost Jay Wright and Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski. We lost Serena Williams and Roger Federer too. Two icons of college basketball. People don't talk about that enough. They don't. It's not something people talk about enough. I would go with good as well. Um, I feel good about it. I feel better about college basketball right now than I have in a while. And the main reason is because we're getting players back in school who otherwise would yeah, be Yeah, that's, that's massive. That's a, that's, a, that's a massive thing. It's a massive thing. So I feel good about it. I'd, I'd stop short of great because there are still things I would change. Like I would uh, – I mean, I would, and I know this isn't, I don't think there's a consensus on this. I would, I would make it a one semester sport. I thought about including that in my takeaway. I didn't, um, I still like it when it is, uh, yeah, which by that you mean, let's go January to May kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. Let's push it out of, let's push it out of football as much as possible. Not entirely. Like we're not going to wait till after the Super Bowl to start the college basketball season, but every week you push it back is a, is one less week that you're competing with football and that that's a real thing. Like it, it, you, you get overshadowed by football and, and this happens to any sport. That's not football. Like game three, of the WBA finals is tonight against Thursday night football. Good luck. 
and you know, on like, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. yeah like it's, you it's know, not even against. Uh, uh, but like that's poor. Podcast like the WNBA is is um, you know, in in desires as much attention as possible, and and yet then you you counter program the NFL. That's crazy. Like you got to be like whoever made that schedule just didn't do it right. You you don't want to be playing against Thursday night fight. Patrick Mahomes. You don't want to be you don't want to be counter program Patrick Mahomes. And so you know, watch tonight. The WM whatever the numbers are, and the game may be great. I have no idea. But whatever the numbers are, they are going to be less than they would be if you just scheduled it on a different day. And the same can be said for college basketball. Every week you push the season back, or or you know, every every week that you you start later than you're starting right now is a week on the back end that's not competing with with football either college football or the nfl and i I noticed this as it pertains to my own life like first week of the season you got radio producers reaching out now hey gp you know the champions classic you think come on talk about it and then as you get into december in january it really calms down like nobody's really you know i love it Outside of like, yeah, I mean, they're still going to want you to come on in Louisville and want you to come on in, uh, you know, Kansas City and still want you to come on in, in some of these big markets that care deeply about college basketball. But it, 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 it it's kind of like, hey, we're focused on football right now. Ooh. And then the Super Bowl is over. And now every radio producer in the country is trying to get you on to talk about college basketball because football's over. And so if I were trying to fix the sport, I, that's one of the things I would do. I'd push it. I'd push it and we'd have, you know, in theory, made madness instead yeah, of March I'm open to it. I'm not, I'm not anti, you know, I'm not anti, uh, that's bold. I don't know if they, again, if you give college basketball the autonomy to do what it wants to do and determine its own schedule, like maybe, maybe you try that again, you know, there's television contracts. It's, it's a very complicated issue to be honest, but right. I don't resist the idea of at least experimenting with that because I can promise you this, uh, May Madness would feel no different to me than March Madness. No, of course. I mean, the tournament is happening, and I'm watching it, and I'm, I'm experiencing it then. And I also, by the way, I think that uh, you know college basketball's viewership, when you compare it against the NBA, the NBA wins in some instances, but the most watched games postseason, unless it's like a Game 7 or Game 6 NBA Finals, the tournament, the tournament wins that. If you look at the the most watched games during the regular season, look at a given, you know, the 10 most viewed uh, games, college basketball will get So it can actually compete. Not as popular as the NBA, but I'm not saying it's it's not they're not getting lapped in that race. And so, yes, you'd be going up against the NBA postseason in that. But I think there's actually a pretty compelling argument to be made. And again, this is where TV stuff comes in. Turner has the NBA playoffs, right? So how are you going to figure all that stuff out? But there's a compelling argument to be made that actually college basketball's postseason would would stand up and uh, and trade jabs there with the NBA in terms of uh, viewership once you got to the postseason. I'm open to it. I'm very very skeptical that the college sports leaders are bold enough to actually try something like that. Yeah. I would change a few other things. Like I, you know, I'd cut, like we talked about, I'd cut down division one. I'd lower the shot clock to 24. There are things I would do to the sport to, to, to make it great or in my opinion, but I think it's in a good place right now. Like I'm good with it. I'm good with it. So yeah. Right, last thing, but last thing as we get out of here, it's more than an hour off season. What are we doing here? Um, I, I got to read this from you. Uh, they're right here. Um, stats by stats. The Cubs are the first team in MLB oh history God. to have third. How about this? The Cubs shout out. The Cubs are the first team in MLB history. Our oldest organized professional team sport in the United States of America. MLB history to have 30 plus fewer wins. Then their opponent 
entering a three-game road series, yet sweep the series, winning every game by three or more runs. Why do I bring this up? Because the Cubs, who are atrocious, just did this to the New York Mets. What a dreadful series it was. They, they got DeGrom two nights ago, and then they scored like four in the first last. It's just a dreadful series. And what's so frustrating about Cubs it? Are 61 and 82. Oh, it's all right. No, and like somebody else just did like the Mets have twice in the past two weeks, like done something that's never been done before in terms of it's all under the same umbrella. X amount of games above 500 and then lose to this team by blah, 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 blah. I was like, nobody's done this ever, but the Mets just did it. And then I, I saw the stats by stats last night. The Cubs just did something at the expense of the Mets that had never been done before in Major League Baseball history. What's so frustrating about it is you're a Mets fan. You got to hear about it all the time. Oh, yeah. Hey, it, congrats. It, just wait till September. It'll, it'll fall apart like it always does. And the whole season, I'm like, you know what? These people just don't get it. Like they don't like I get that's the Mets reputation. I understand it. I've lived it. But like this team is different, man. This team is different. Built different. And then here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Same things happening. Same things. Ha- Here's the truth, though. You ready? Still in first place. Still projected by all the algorithms to win the NL East. Doesn't mean they're better than the Braves, but they have an easier schedule than the Braves. The problem, of course, is that I spent I spent a month. I spent a month talking about, like, listen, here's why the Mets are still going to win the NL East, even if they're not as good as the Braves. The schedule lightens up. Since the schedule lightened up, they're under 500. They can't beat these bad teams for some reason. It's infuriating. But they're still projected to win the NL East. And if you put me in a best of five series, because if they win the NL East, they'll get a first round by. And then the next round's best of five. Best of five series. I got Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. I feel fine. I'm still good. They're still not good. good. Still good. But that was a dreadful series. And don't think I didn't notice that Cubs jersey. You don't think I wasn't getting out of here before this podcast before bringing up that stat because that's incredible. That's a phenomenal stat. It's unbelievable. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Middle fingers to the Cubs. And thank you guys once again for listening to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're at Apple, leave a nice review. Five stars. Write some words. There's more of us than there are of them. I've confirmed that. More of a... That's our next candy coaches question. Okay. Asked roughly 100 college coaches. Is there is there more of us than there are of them? I got a weird feeling I'm going to do the outro on tomorrow's podcast. We're going to talk about Texas, right? Yeah. That's, that's next in the feed, by the way. Texas summer feed around. Just a, just a feeling. We're going to talk about the Texas Longhorns. Chris Beard's second team in Austin. Debuting in a new, new arena. Ooh, I can't wait till tomorrow. And if it looks like I'm dressed like I was two days ago, pay it no no attention. (laughs) We'll talk to you again soon.